0: So how can we make this case? Well, one way we can do it is to point out to people that there's no essential difference between the embryos you once were and the adults you are today that would justify killing you at that earlier stage.
1: Arguments cannot be religious or non-religious. Arguments can either be valid or invalid, or sound or unsound. The substance view is the idea that from when you come into existence of fertilization until you die naturally, you are the same individual at every point in your life. So if it is wrong to kill you now, it was wrong to kill you then. Hello, and welcome to Pro-Life Thinking, a Life Training Institute podcast in which we will talk about the abortion issue and larger issues related to bioethics in a way that's winsome, reasonable, and persuasive. I'm Clinton Wilcox, your host, and I'm joined by my co-host, Aaron Brake, this morning. How are you doing today, Aaron?
0: I'm doing well, Clinton. How are you?
1: Oh, I wish I could say I'm doing well, but unfortunately, I seem to have... Uh come down with a cold this week or or some kind of severe allergy attack or something, and so I'm not completely one hundred percent today, but um you know I'm still going to give it my all here now we're yeah, advocates I hope you feel better. In... oh thanks uh, now we're advocates and voices for the Unborn with Life Training Institute, whose mission is to equip pro-life advocates to graciously and persuasively defend their pro- life views in the marketplace of ideas and in our culture. We believe in the radical idea that it's wrong to kill innocent human beings, whether born or unborn, and we're here to equip you to defend that idea in a culture that celebrates a woman's right to choose. Now, as I did just uh, mention a moment ago, I, uh, I'm i not exactly filling up 100% here, and so I, I don't foresee this to be a very long podcast, and it's probably for the better, just because of, um, you know, I'm still kind of congested and uh, my voice isn't back to 100%, so I probably sound a little bit funny, and if I sound funny, that's the reason why. Um, so today, the, the topic that we have for discussion is uh, Judith Jarvis Thompson's essay, A Defense of Abortion. And now I, I say that our uh, topic probably isn't going to be, or our, our podcast probably isn't going to be very long today. Originally, I wanted to kind of respond to all of the arguments that she makes in her essay. But as I was going along, I started to realize, well, our our podcast episode is probably going to, going to drag on for days if we did that. And so what I really just want to do today is just talk about a couple of the really big analogies that she uses and not respond to all the little smaller arguments that she makes, but just to respond to a couple of the bigger uh, thought experiments that she uses. So uh, last week, we talked about the bodily rights arguments and um, how Thompson in in her essay uses the violinist thought experiment and her thought experiment doesn't take into account certain things such as that you're responsible for your pregnancy whereas you're not responsible for the condition that the violinist finds himself in and the violinist is a complete stranger whereas when you're pregnant you're dealing with the parent-child relationship and, and certain things like that and so the violinist thought experiment is really just a false analogy it doesn't properly capture what pregnancy actually is and what responsibilities we have in pregnancy now uh, Thompson before we get into her other analogies, uh, Thompson, I think, is probably the originator of the acorn oak tree argument. I'm not sure if anyone has ever used this argument before she did, you know, the argument that uh, uh, embryos are not persons because acorns are not oak trees. And the problem with this argument, uh, as we've actually pointed out on this show before, but it's kind of, uh, kind of strange seeing it from an academic philosopher, is that she confuses the concept of personhood with biological development. Uh, of course, acorns are oak trees. They're just oak trees at a very early point in their development, just like fetuses and embryos are humans just at an early stage of their development. But she's using this argument to respond to the pro-life position that any point you choose to begin personhood along the path of human development is arbitrary. So, uh, So she's confusing here biological development, acorns into oak trees, embryos into human beings, with the philosophical concept of personhood. But she even calls this a slippery slope argument, but it doesn't seem to fit the definition of slippery slope, which is that a relatively small step leads to a chain of events culminating in some significant negative event. So the argument that uh, that deciding some point along human development to place as the point that person begins is not a slippery slope argument, even though she uh, tries to say that it is. And so you'll actually notice that Thompson's arguments are all arguments from analogies. And these arguments from analogies are all based on basically impossible science fiction scenarios. One of the analogies we're considering today is not an impossible scenario, but most of of the main analogies in her essay are.
0: I think most people are probably familiar with Thompson's uh, main argument, uh, the, the violinist, but they're not too familiar with these other... Uh, analogies or scenarios that she puts forward. So I think these are very helpful to go over uh, because she does raise other ideas uh, in these um, analogies that people are less familiar with and, and maybe caught off guard uh, as pro lifers in, in responding to them.
1: Right. And so, uh, yeah, so she raises uh, some analogies to respond to the idea that having sex produces the child, with, uh grants responsibility to the woman to raise the child. So she's kind of preempting. The argument that the responsibility a woman has in getting pregnant uh, grounds her obligation to the child. Um, so, her her first argument is more down-to-earth, it it is something that can happen, and so she uses the the argument from from burglary. She says, If the room is stuffy, and I therefore open a window to air it, and a burglar climbs in, it would be absurd to say, Ah, now he can stay. She's given him a right to the use of her house, for she is partially responsible for his presence there, having voluntarily done what enabled him to get in, in full knowledge that there are such things as burglars, and that burglars burgle. It would still be more absurd to say that if I had had bars installed outside my windows precisely to prevent burglars from getting in, and a burglar got in only because of a defect in the bars, it becomes even more absurd if we imagine that it is not a burglar who climbs in, but an innocent person who blunders or falls in. Now, the main problem with this analogy is that sex is intrinsically ordered toward creating a naturally needy child. If a woman has sex, she has a responsibility to raise this child because she engaged in an act that caused the child's existence. But opening windows is not an act intrinsically ordered toward letting burglars in your house in the same way sex is linked to procreation. A burglar has no right to be in your house. Burglary is an act of violence and a violation of your rights. But an embryo does have a right to be in the woman's body, and when a woman gets pregnant, her rights are not being violated.
0: So in this uh, part of Thompson's essay where she talks about installing bars in the windows to bar entry, and yet despite that, the the burglar makes it in uh, due to a defect in the bars, what this is meant to say is that uh, even if a woman uses contraception to prevent pregnancy, if she does get pregnant, Even though using contraception, she doesn't have to let the child remain in her body because she didn't want to be pregnant and she took active steps to prevent it. But the problem with this part of the analogy is that contraception still doesn't change the intrinsic intrinsic nature of sex. All it does is add a barrier to conception. So when a woman has sex, she still bears a responsibility to the unborn child, uh, even when trying to prevent conception with contraceptives.
1: Right, And then she goes on um, to use sort of a similar analogy, but here she returns to her penchant for science fiction analogies. She goes on to say, Imagine a set of burglars, there are people seeds that drift around and will get into your carpets and upholstery if you leave the window open, even if you buy fine mesh screens to try and keep them out. If one drifts in and takes root due to, due to a defect in the screen, does the people seed now have a right to the use of your house? Now, she just used an analogy from burglars, which is a little bit more down-to-earth, and so I'm not sure what the point was in kind of doubling down with a more science-fiction-y scenario. But she talks again about fine mesh screens keeping these people seeds out, but the same response holds here as to the bars keeping out the burglars. Contraception doesn't change the intrinsic nature of sex, it just adds a barrier to procreation. And again, sex is not like opening your window and having these people seeds drift in. Sex is an act that is intrinsically ordered toward procreation. A major problem with using these science fiction scenarios is that Thompson doesn't give us any information on the rules of these worlds. Our obligations might be different in a world in which people's seats can drift through windows, but that's not the way our world is now. Women don't get pregnant through an accident of leaving the window open, they get pregnant through the act that they chose to do. And of course, this logically brings up the case of rape, but we responded to rape cases in the last episode, and right now this thought experiment is meant to respond to the responsibility that she has. So responding to rape cases is beyond the point here. Yeah, so those are basically the main things to talk about. We uh, briefly recap the uh, bodily rights argument, and we talked about a couple of major arguments from her essay: the uh, the burglar and the people seeds analogy. Yeah, and so uh, hopefully I'll be feeling a lot better uh, next week when we record, and I'll be able to to actually breathe and, and talk properly. But uh, I want to uh, thank you, the audience, for listening and putting up with uh, with my uh, with my uh, you know allergy ridden voice. And I want to thank you again, uh, Aaron, for joining me here to talk about this. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I hope
0: you feel better, Clinton.
1: Oh, thanks. So uh, if you, if you appreciated the information contained in this, uh, in this podcast, we would just ask that you share it around. You can rate and review us on Facebook as well as on iTunes. And now this is a weekly podcast and it takes a lot of work to put together a podcast each week on top of all the other work that I do in the pro-life movement. As Craig Cunningham of Center for Bioethical Reform says, there are more people working full-time to kill unborn babies than there are people working full-time to save them. I subsist off of donations from financial supporters. People like you keep me being able to do the work that I do. If you like what we're doing with this podcast and would like to support my work as a full-time pro-life advocate, you can go to www.prolifetraining.com. And click on Donate in the menu on the top. You can give a one-time gift or you can give a monthly gift. Just be sure to put my name in the notes section so that Life Training Institute knows to put your donation into my account. Donations are also tax deductible. Now next week, uh, what, uh, what I'd like to talk about is a thought experiment that has kind of re-entered the public consciousness. A uh, science fiction author on Twitter has reused... Uh, a thought experiment about a burning i v f lab and would you uh, would you rescue you know one five year old baby or or a thousand embryos in a canister or something like that and Now this is not a new uh, argument uh, it's been responded to many times, but this science fiction author says that he's never had an honest response to it by pro life people, and so we'll go ahead and talk about this essay next week on our podcast. So once again, I'd like to thank you for listening and thank Aaron for joining me and we'll see you next time.